The nation of Israel, is a, it's, a fascinating, it's a fascinating place. Modern Israel in and of itself is a fascinating place. You should, you should go to Israel with me. I have no idea when I'm going again. I just want to go again before the Lord comes back. So I should, put, I should plan another trip. It's beautiful. It's just like being in Southern California. You will be at home. You know, there's a lot of you know, stuff on the news, and obviously there's like, a, there's like a little war going on. And so it's a little complicated. Like we get that. If it calms down, like plan a pilgrimage. It, is, it will change your life, and it will give you a different perspective of the land itself because there's something unique about the land. You think California is cool. I don't know why anybody would move from California. You think California is cool. Wait until you step into the Holy Land. It's beautiful. From the Internet. You can trust the Internet. <laughs> from, from Wikipedia, you can trust that too. The economy of Israel is, a, is highly developed. It's a highly developed free market society. So they've kind of taken the lead from us, and they're a free market. The prosperity of Israel's advanced economy allows the country to have a sophisticated welfare state. They take care of their own. Amazing. A powerful modern military said to possess nuclear weapon capabilities with a full uh, nuclear triad. Modern infrastructure rivaling many Western countries. I can attest to that. Like, they got that place put together. It looks nice. It feels safe. It's safer than many of our states in America. In a high-technology sector, competitively on par with Silicon Valley, it has the second largest number of startup companies in the world after the United States. So a country the size of New Jersey is number two right behind us. And is the third largest number of NASDAQ-listed companies after the U.S. and China. So it's number three in NASDAQ companies. We're movers and shakers, these guys. American companies such as Intel, Microsoft, and Apple built their first overseas research and development facilities in Israel. More than 400 high-tech multinational corporations such as IBM, Google, Hewlett-Packard, Cisco Systems, Facebook, and Motorola have opened R&D centers throughout the entire country. Pretty cool, huh? Does anybody use Waze? That is an Israeli-based company startup. They, they set the standard for you getting from point A to point B. It's pretty cool. These are, this is really neat stuff. And then I, and I say this often, they hold like 90, the, Jew, the Jewish people and now the nation of Israel moving into areas of prosperity and success. They, they're like less than 2% of the world's population, but they have 90% of the Nobel Peace Prizes. Wow. It's pretty cool, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we know that the Jewish people are very influential in Hollywood. Steven Spielberg, right? To name others. Like, it's, it's, kind, of, it's, it's kind of exciting. Like, they're, all, they're, they're everywhere. They, they are definitely a blessing to the planet. Now, what I'm about to say next, I need to just clarify something, because it should not be taken in a negative light. I don't mean this as a, as a bash. Like I'm, I'm pro-Israel, by the way. Can't you tell? I'm pro-Israel. Because I, I want to, we need to, I as an individual need to bless the nation of Israel and bless the people of Israel because I know that there are promises for, for me if I do so. And so this is why I'm leading the church in this area of praying for the nation of Israel, for God's land, for God's people, because there's blessings for the church. And Israel and the church are two separate things. We are not the new Israel. We, we, are, we are being we've been grafted into the people of God, but we are not the new Israel. We're not the new Jerusalem. So there are some Christian thinkers and Christian theologians that believe in what we call replacement theology, meaning that the Jews messed everything up and now we're, the Christian church is replacing them. There's nothing in the scriptures that says that. They are a unique people. They are, they are God's chosen covenant people, meaning that God is in covenant with them no matter how bad they mess up. God has got a plan to redeem them, okay? So what I'm about to say, um, it, it's gonna, it applies to the message, but man, you shouldn't take it in the wrong way as if I'm promoting anti-Semitism. Can I get a yes, Pastor Josh? Yes. Okay, thank you. Because I just read all of these very, you know, this incredible um, achievements in a very short amount of time from the Jewish people. It's, it's frankly, it's mind blowing how much they have blessed the world. And yet, they have some issues. They've, they've got some dirt. They've got some buried stuff that needs to be addressed. 95% of online pornography sites are ran by Jewish people. Did you know that? Pornhub. Pornhub is owned by a, a Jewish individual. That like okay, that's a bummer, but okay, what? No, that's not. Whatever, Josh, big deal. Well, what's interesting about this one is that, well, he owns Pornhub and he owns he has a monopoly on all the other uh, important high traffic pornography sites. So he, he he's 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 running the show in that in that in that industry. But him being a pornographer is basically his side hustle. He has a couple of other jobs too. Uh, one is he's an attorney. Okay, well, that kind of makes sense. Pornographer, attorney. <laughs> stop, stop. Okay, you guys ready for the, something that's really bizarre? So uh, Solomon Friedman, you know, who owns, he owns Pornhub and a bunch of other sites, he's an attorney. He's, he's running this, this industry. He's also a rabbi. For sure, for real. Now, that is one of the most bizarre things that I have discovered recently, is that a rabbi, a man of God, 
is running a huge sector of the smut industry. Like, what in the world am I getting? That's so bizarre. 75% of the residents in Henderson, Nevada are Jewish. Do you know where Henderson, Nevada is? Do you know what people that live in Henderson, Nevada do for a living? It's Vegas, baby. One of my little pleasures, one of the shows that I like, I like mobster movies and gangster shows. And so a few years back, I got into Peaky Blinders. Did you guys ever watch that one? Like the British gangster show from the 20s where they wore the bowler hats and the cool outfits. Love that show. Um, like some of the gangsters, and this is, this is true historical fact, were a, were a gang of rabbis. They were running the streets of London. So bizarre. What is my point in telling you all of this? I definitely don't want us bashing Jews. That's not the, that's not the point of it. My point of it is there's certain things, idols, if you will, that they did not take care of. This is an inheritance type of a thing, and if you read the Bible, you can see it bleed through. One of the most recent ones, and I, we can't prove it, but there's some pretty good, solid speculation. That whole situation with, uh, uh, what's his name? My mind's blanking. Uh, uh, babe, who's the guy that, that was running Sex Island? Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, if you're, you guys familiar with this one, the Jeffrey Epstein scandal? So which one? Um, so he was running uh, a human sex trafficking ring, and he was inviting high-profile Hollywood people and politicians to come to his little um, island and have a sexy good time. And then he would record them all. Like, and then he got caught, and then he got arrested. Uh, and he, the, guy was, the guy was, I think he was a billionaire, like close to being a billionaire, by running this sex trade and other nefarious stuff. We don't know all the ins and outs of it, but he's a, it made him a very, very wealthy man. Uh, and of course, it involved underage women. It was just the most disgusting thing that you can possibly think of. Uh, mysteriously, he dies in his cell. All right, bizarre. So the speculation is that he was a Mossad agent. Can't prove it. I should probably walk out, watch him behind my back after this sermon. <laughs> I know, right? But the, the, the theory, and again, it kind of makes sense, is that he's a Mossad agent. Mossad is basically um, the, the Israeli version of the CIA. Like, what's going on? This is the most, like, and the, we, we can't, we, it's hard, we can't find the hard numbers, but we also think that the Jewish people are highly involved in, in human trafficking. There's good proof to that, but again, it's, it's all underground, so we just don't know. It's a speculation. So what's going on? Like, these are God's chosen people, and they're doing some of the most heinous stuff on the planet? Why are they doing this? Why? It's because they allowed things that have been buried to fester. And if the people of God can do it, you can do it too. 
So that's what we're getting into. Last week, um, we talked about uh, how Jacob, returning to his homeland to meet his father, he's got his two wives and two concubines, 11 boys, one girl, and they're returning to Israel to meet his brother, and there's, there's bad blood between him and his brother, and Esau's going to kill Jacob. That's, that's, that's the narrative. And yet, in the midst of this high drama, God shows up and wrestles with Jacob all night long, and Jacob says this very powerful saying, and I think that we should adopt it. I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. It's not an arrogant statement. It is not a, it's not a demanding statement. It is a declaration that we are going to fight to be in God's presence, no matter how painful and hard it is. That we require, that we know that we, we need God's blessing in our lives. And in, in order to, to receive God's blessing in your life, you got to fight for it. You, gotta, you can't let go. So you cannot let go of that angel until he blesses you. And, you know, in the wrestling match, you know, God, the angel, Jesus touches Jacob's hip and it blows out of the socket. And for the rest of his life, Jacob walks with a limp. So, again, I don't know who said it. I know that Pastor Wimber said it. Don't trust anybody that doesn't walk with a limp. Because they haven't wrestled with God. They haven't contended with God. And that is the definition of the name Israel. Those that wrestle with God. Isn't that cool? Those who strive with God. You're going to strive in your life. It's better that you strive with God than strive alone. Strive with God. And at times, wrestle with God. But never choose God off. Never fight God. Wrestle with God. Never blame God. Say, God, I need you. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. So wrestle around with the Lord and then submit to him eventually. And so that's the story. And what's powerful in this wrestling match is that after Jacob won't let go but loses to the Lord, after this wrestling match, the Lord changes his name from Jacob to Israel. He changes his name. He's beginning to work on his identity because there's some, you know, if you've been following along, if you've been reading the story along with us, I want to encourage you to read, you know, the Genesis story on Jacob. You'll discover something about this patriarch. This patriarch has major character flaws. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a manipulator. Um, I, in the earlier sermons, I described him as a mama's boy that was staying in his tent playing Nintendo all day long while his brother Esau is out doing all the hard work in the sun and catching animals and dragging, dragging the provision home for the family. So I, mean, so I, I kind of like, I wanted to emphasize like there's, there's some character flaws in this man, Jacob. All right, um, this is a little side note. I know I, I made fun of him for playing video games at home. Um, but actually what we might believe is that, um, okay, there is no Old Testament yet. There's no Ten Commandments. 
there's no King David, there's no Psalms, there's no Proverbs, there's no book. They don't have anything yet. And so some scholars believe that it's just all oral tradition at this point, like they're just telling stories. I have a different belief. I think Jacob was writing. So although um, you know, Esau was out hunting, bringing food home, I think Jacob was probably writing in Akkadian or Sumerian or something like that. So I think that that was the difference. So I'm making fun of him, but he was probably doing homework. And again, there's no Torah. There's no Ten Commandments. You think you guys get bored with my stories? How would you like to hear Noah and the ark over and over and over again? Because there's no stories yet. It just requires you to have a relationship with the Lord. There's no law. There's no law saying, you know, you shouldn't, you, shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't kill, you shouldn't be jealous. There's no laws telling you to do that. You're just expected to be a good person. Imagine that. Why do we have to have things in black and white when deep down inside we know what's right and wrong? But God has to give us the law to reflect on to us what our issues are and what our problems are. All right, so Jacob has character flaws and it's even in his name the heel grabber the usurper that's what his name means what a terrible name right and yet god says i am going to give you a new name i am not only going to change your character i'm going to i'm going to change the very foundation of your soul and from your seed will be a blessing to the entire world Jacob transforms. He transforms into Israel. Isn't that cool? You know that God can do that with you? He can transform you. He can, like, you shouldn't be changing your name, but He can change your identity. He can, he can change your character. He can change your will. He can, he can change your drive. He can, he can change everything about you that is negative, and he can turn it into a positive. And this is what, this is what the Lord is beginning to do with Jacob. Genesis 35. So, this is after his encounter with Esau. As you remember from last week, Esau kind of plays the role of the prodigal father. He embraces his brother. He loves his brother in, in you know, Jacob's thinking that he's going to get murdered by his brother. And I made this point, is that even though that God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, Jacob continues to be referred to as Jacob. Meaning, though, that God has declared that he has a new name, uh, Jacob hasn't adopted it yet. He still uses the term, well, the scriptures still use the term Jacob. And he still acts like Jacob. His very next encounter in a real-world situation, he lies to his brother. He just had his name changed. He just had a powerful encounter with God. He literally wrestled with Jesus. And the very next thing he does, he falls back into his old nature, his old character, and he lies to his brother. He does it again. He's Jacob, but not Israel, even though the Lord has declared that he is Israel. Yeah? 
So this is after this encounter. This is after one of the most disturbing passages in the Bible. Uh, Watch last week. I don't want to get into that. But this is a very dramatic family, family situation that was very tense, and it involved lots of bloodshed. So after that, he could have went with his brother and he could have lived in peace. He lied to his brother, hung out with unsavory people, and it ended in bloodshed. And now we pick up the story, uh, chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, we're a couple chapters after his name's been changed. He's still being referred to as Jacob. Interesting, right? God said to Jacob, go to Bethel and set a fire there. Okay, what happened at Bethel again? The house of God from a few weeks ago. Do you guys remember what happened at Bethel? It's a famous Led Zeppelin song. The stairway to heaven. Let's go back to that moment where you had this open encounter, this open heaven encounter with me. And build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, Get rid of all the foreign gods that you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to, the, to God and to answer, who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I go. And so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that are in their ears, like cultural stuff. Um, and Jacob buried them under the oak tree at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the town all around them so that no one pursued them. That's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's something, there's a, like I wish I, I'm going to get the video of this later, but like something powerful takes place after this moment. The power of God just terrified the unbelievers. Jacob and the people with him came to Lutz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. And there they built an altar. And he called that place El Bethel. It's kind of redundant. It's like uh, God, house God. Because it, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. So, Jacob a man of broken character has a couple encounters with God and God's working on the inside of his soul saying, it's time to transform you. It's time to give you a new name. It's time to give you a new identity. You will now be called Israel. But it doesn't take. Has God ever worked on you? Has God ever not only only called out your character flaws, but has God ever tried to make you a new man or a new woman? And you're like, this is good. I'm all in. I can't wait to change. I can't wait to transform. You feel the power of God. But then a week later, it didn't take. And you just go back to your old self. You go back to your old habits. and You go back to your old thought patterns. And you go back to your old sins. 
and then you get discouraged, and then you begin to do this immediate self-talk that says, I'm never going to change. I'm never going to be good. I'm never going to be worthy. I'm never going to be righteous. And you begin to verbally, mentally beat yourself up because you had, a, you had a moment with God. You had a God encounter, but it didn't stick, and now you're believing lies that maybe it just wasn't real. Am I preaching to myself? It didn't stick. And again, he goes right back into lying. Why? Like, what's going on? Why, why, did this, why did this take place? There's a secret to why this failure happened. And this secret applies to us. We have to, we have to roll the tape back a little bit. We've got we've to tell the beginning of the story. This is Genesis 31. So we're backtracking a little bit. We're going before Jacob encounters Esau, before Jacob even wrestles with God. He knows that he needs to head back into the promised land. He knows that he needs to leave his father-in-law's uh, Laban on all the shenanigans that they're doing, all this you know, dysfunctional family stuff. He's ready to go. He's ready to leave this place. Something important happens. Something, that, something takes place. Something gets buried, and we need to pay attention to it because it applies to us. Genesis 31, verse 22. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days. And he caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban, the Armenian, in a dream and said to him, be careful that you do not do, say anything to Jacob, neither good or bad. So basically God is, is telling the father-in-law, Laban, okay, I know you're hot and angry, but you need to cool your jets. Because if you allow your, fresh, your flesh to boil up in this situation, it's not going to go well with you. I don't know why God warns Laban, but he does. Uh, God's basically telling Laban, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because I'm on, I'm on like, Jacob does... Jacob is the, the man of the covenant. You don't want to mess with the man of the covenant. Yeah? Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead where Laban overlooked him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? See, Laban, Jacob is being Jacob. He's, he's functioning in his character flaws. He took Laban's daughters, maybe some of his property, and ran with it. You have deceived me. True. You have carried off my daughters like captives in war. True. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? True. Why didn't you tell me so that I could send you away with singing to the music of timbrels and harps? That would have been nice. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. What a jerk, right? No wonder he's got his feelings hurt here. You have done a foolish thing. True. I have the power to harm you. But last night, God, the God of your father, 
father said to me, be careful, do not say anything, do not choose off Jacob, check yourself. And now you have gone off because you've longed to return to your father's household. Okay, if you're following along in your Bibles, underline this. Why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought that you would take your daughters away from me by force. Okay, that's probably a big fat lie. But if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything uh, of yours with me here. And if so, take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. Rachel, Laban's daughter, the, the one that Jacob fell in love with. Like the prize, the beauty. She stole her dad's idols. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he found nothing. And he came out of Leah's tent and he entered Rachel's tent. And now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside of her camel's saddle, and she was sitting on them. Laban searching everywhere in the tent, but he found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord. I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. It's the word of the Lord, folks. So he searched, but he could not find the household gods. What are these gods? What are these idols? Like, we don't know specifically what she took, but we could probably easily assume if you study ancient mythologies, if you've studied any type of ancient history, the gods are pretty basic. You got your sex gods, you got your money gods, you got your power gods. There you go. What kind of gods do we have today? Sex gods, money gods, and power gods. So she took her dad's stuff. She didn't tell why. She stole it. The mother of Benjamin, the mother of Joseph, like, stole her dad's idols, and then hid them and buried them underneath her. And then, and then she made up this incredible excuse. Sorry, Dad, I can't get up. I'm on my period. Now, all Scripture is God-breathed, and all Scripture is youth, useful in teaching and instructing. And so if you're ever in need of an excuse... Just follow the word of God. Sorry. You know, your boss calls you up. Hey, I need you to do this. I can't do this right now. I'm on my period. Now, this doesn't just apply to ladies these days. Yeah, no. Men, too, can, can have a menstrual cycle. I'm being serious. I know. Why not go there? 
Why not go there? Okay, this is from the National, the, the National Institute of Health slash the National Library of Medicine.gov. This is from our government's medical institutions. Um, degendering menstruation, making trans menstruations matter. Uh, Dr. Reitstam works with a post-constructionist framework to critically explore the nature of menstruation, which many perceive to be strictly a female bodily function, despite many scholars recognizing that menstruation, menstruators are of various gender identities. In challenging menstruation and uh, whatever that is, phenomenon, the author explores various menstrual experiences among trans people and argues that cis and trans menstruators come in a matter of, uh, of, of come in different styles. More specifically, menstrual activism, uh, public bathrooms, menstrual pr products, and healthcare sectors are uh, problem problematic areas, whereas trans men, okay, blah, blah, blah. Uh, finally, calls for the recognition of the multiplicity of menstrual experiences as they exist and uh, determining of menstrual phenomena, and that is for everyone. Okay, so guys, you can, you can use this excuse, too. Um, no. <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying. You could use it. Guys, you could do this. So you're on your couch playing video games, and your wife wants you to take out the trash. You could be like... Sorry, honey, I can't get up right now. I'm on my period. Wouldn't that be great? You know, your boss wants you to, to lift the water, well, the water cooler because you're the only, your only guy, the only guy that has got muscles in there. You could be like, um, sorry, boss, I can't do that. I'm, I'm having cramps right now. So these are great things that we can do. It has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon, but... But she uses this excuse. She uses a, a very uh, interesting excuse to hide a very serious problem. Okay, hopefully that, that probably didn't go well. I'm so sorry if I offended anybody. But is this where we're at these days? It's going to be a long week. Rachel is hiding her gods. And she's using an excuse to hide them. Back to chapter 35. You guys okay? I'm sorry. I told you it was going to be really good or really bad. Back to chapter 35. Just to review. So Jacob said to his household and all that were with him, get rid of the foreign gods that you have with you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. This is, this is way later. This is after his encounter with with Esau. Get rid of all the foreign gods that you have with you. Interesting. See, God has been working on Jacob's character. And Jacob has been trying. He's been trying to, to allow his character to be transformed. He's just failing at it miserably. 
Why is he failing at it miserably? Because there's something buried deep down. There's foreign gods. There's idols in his tent. And he cannot be transformed fully until those things are dug up, exposed, and gotten rid of. The reason why he failed after his meeting with Esau, the, the, the reason why he defaulted back into his lying nature, into his lying character, is because he had idols in his tent. Do you have any idols in your tents? Do you, do you have these things buried? And are you making excuses like Rachel did for these things? And so finally, he comes to the realization, like, I can't change my character on my own. There is a deep and buried spiritual foundation because the worship of idols, it's not just character flaws. It is a spiritual stronghold that's got to be dug up and exposed. And so you need to get the idols out of your life. And you need to quit making excuses for your idols. What are your idols? Anything. It, it, like, um, I don't know. You might have, uh, I don't know. You might have a, a statue or a bookend of Confucius on your library table. Is that an idol? It could be. You might not, you might not ha- need to have it in your, in your house. But if it's decorative, whatever. Like, I don't, I, like, I'm an antique dealer, and I don't know. I got this weird thing where I can feel the vibe of an object. I know when something is a, is a, a ceremonial object that you should not touch, and then I know the difference between that and when something is decorative. All right, so if you have a little Confucius bookend in your house, I would pray about it. Like, if it was used for ceremonial purposes, you need to get it out of your house. I don't want to get too legalistic about it, but I'm telling you, man, sometimes those objects, it's weird. Get Get rid of creepy stuff out of your house. How about if I get even more practical? If you have some action heroes in your house that are demonic, you might want to get those out of your house. Wow, I just went there. Are you guys okay? Woo! I know. Mm. I know. The idol is an idol. We just, just give it different meanings and different characteristics. But that's not the type of idolatry that I'm addressing right now. I'm addressing the idolatry that is in the heart, the invisible idol. The invisible idol that is in your heart that we worship, that we put above God. Those idols are very, they're the same today that they were in the ancient world. We have the idol of of sexuality. We easily um, overemphasize. We live in in a highly sexualized culture. And if you and your family and if your children are not aware, it can easily become an idol if you do not submit the Lord and submit to the Lord your sexuality. It's a sacred thing. It is something that you should not be playing around with. You definitely should not have that idol in your house. Get it out. Money is, okay, so you had your sex gods and then you had your money gods. So you could, work, you could worship Asherah, the sex goddess, you could have a statue of that in your house, or you could have a statue of Baal, the money god. Is money an idol for you? I know that's a tough question. Do you worship money? Is that, is that what does it for you? 
Is that accomplishment, that, uh, that generation? Does that give you self-worth? Does that give you meaning? Does it give you purpose? If money gives you self-worth, meaning, and purpose, guess what you have? You have an idol in your heart. You have, an, uh, you have an invisible idol, and it's in the shape of a golden bull. And if you want to take a look at it, go to the New York Stock Exchange. They've got one sitting out there for you to worship. And then you would worship your power gods or your war gods. You would worship Mars or Marduk or all of these violent gods. Do you tend to lash out violently in anger? Do you act physically when you get angry? Are you contriving ways to destroy other people's lives? Like deep down inside, you want to see people hurt. You want to see people fail. You don't want to just rise to the occasion. You want to bring other people down so that you can get ahead of them. Is that you? Well, guess what you have? You got yourself a nice war god that you worship. If you're really that petty, then you have a war god. And Jacob, finally, he finally gets this junk out of his house. And it is not until he gets this junk out of his house that we get another introduction because God says, I'm going to change your name. It's like, I thought we already did this. Like, this is redundant, right? Yeah, I thought we already did this. He's going to do it again. Verse 9. After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. And kings will be among your descendants. And the land that I give Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, to you. Excuse me. And I will give you this land to your descendants. Then God went up and he met him at that place where he had talked with him. So once again, God's got to remind him. God's got to declare, I'm here to change your name. It didn't stick the first time, but this is round two. Let's go again. Amen. Look, just because you blew it with God once, just because you allowed a character flaw to derail you and then you begin to believe these lies that you're not worthy to be a Christian or a follower of God or you know, a lover of Jesus, you feel like he left God down, let God down. No, you get to go again. You get another chance. I'm not even quite sure how many chances you get. Some of you have gotten lots of chances. But I'm not sure how many chances you get. But you, keep, you continue to get more chances because God wants to call you back into your true identity, your true name, your true purpose. And it's transformative. So how about if we just let the name stick this time? God's called you into a purpose. He's called you into a destiny. Let's just allow the name to stick. Let's, let's allow the transformation to take place. Meaning that tomorrow morning when you get up and you go to work, let's not lie to your boss like Jacob did. Let's just instead, let's just take that name Israel. No, I wrestled with God on Sunday and it was good. So therefore, I'm not going to lie. Let's be an Israel, not be a Jacob. 
How am I doing on time? I ran, I ran out of time. I should have left that bit on the period stuff out. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't land anyway. All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or given thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged their glory for an immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and every creeping thing. And then I love this. This is 1 John 5. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who has been born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Should, should I read that again? Like, is the evil one touching your lives? Is the evil one touching your life? I've got, a, I've got a word for you. Get rid of those idols. He can't touch you. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's true. And we know that the Son of God has come. And he's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. Okay, listen to this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You can work on yourself, and you should. You should, try, you should strive hard to be a better person, a more well-balanced person of integrity and character. Amen? Amen? You need to live a life of virtue. You need to live a life of love. You need to be kinder. You need to work harder. You need to be more diligent. But those are all character traits. You can do all of that stuff and not be a lover of Jesus. You can form your character into becoming a good person, but if Jesus is not the center, then you're just lost. And you, have, you have buried idols in your life. So the reason why, why Jacob failed is because he had things hidden in his house. And it wasn't until he got them out that God really began to use him and bless him. He didn't have to default back into his old character. He became Israel. He became the new man. And I want to encourage you to get these idols out of your lives. Think back to the beginning, how powerful and how such a blessing the nation of Israel is. And then I read all that dark, nefarious stuff. Why are they doing that? 
Why is 95% of the porn industry ran by Jewish people? Why, why is sex trafficking, why are they running that? It's because they had buried idols that they did not dig up. They did not submit these things to the Lord. God is still, they're still God's people. No matter how bad they are, I don't know how it all works out, I'm not God. But that is the result of a blessed people that still worshiped idols. Let's not do that. Like, we don't want God's people to do that. And I think they're being called out on it. This whole Epstein thing and all this other stuff, like, it's all being exposed. It's all being churned up. I think that's great. Um, You know what also is great? Is that when God churns up stuff in your life that doesn't belong there. When God, when God churns up stuff and highlights sin that, that you don't want to deal with, that you've been making mistake, excuses for, God's going to churn it up. He's going to bring it all into the light. And, the, and not only is the world going to change, the world will change because God's calling us into righteousness. The world is going to change. Will you change with it? Will you change too? Dig up those idols. Bring them out into the light and smash them. Expose what is ungodly in your life and in your house and in your heart. And then God can transform you into a new being, a new creation. He can give you a new name, and this time it will stick. So may now the God of peace, God himself, sanctify you, meaning making you pure and clean and brand new. May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, may your whole mind, and may your whole soul become continually renewed, getting better and better each and every day until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is imminent. Go in the blessing of the Lord today. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good week. Become a new person.